This is Ian Desher, and you're listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. fascinated by authors who choose to write under pseudonyms, wondering mm-hmm. why you chose to do that. I would love to have some really in-depth answer for you, but in all honesty, I thought it would be cool. Like when I was a little kid and I found out people could write books under other names, I was like, awesome. I will do this. This is BK Mullen, and you're listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Episode 39 starts now. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast at the GBB Podcast on Twitter. <laughs> follow us, follow us. And that's the first thing I'm going to say every time we come into the show. It should be the first thing because we want people to know where we are. Exactly. And Facebook too. Facebook.com slash GBB Podcast. Welcome to another week. I'm Justin Connors and I'm with... The formidable, formidable, formidable. <laughs> That's me. The formidable Jamie. I, I think every week I should have a different adjective yeah, because we'll I, like, different I don't one. know if I can, you know, live up to formidable every week. <laughs> and we're here for another week of another interview, which I love doing. It's really cool, and we're sticking with the Star Wars theme. We're getting super excited um, for the movies coming up, so we're going to be interviewing Claudia Gray who has written in the universe, but we're also going to be talking to her a little bit about her new book that's coming up uh, that's not Star Wars related. So maybe, Jamie, you can talk about who we're talking to this week. Yeah, Claudia Gray wrote um, one of the, that first wave or of Star Wars books uh, called Lost Stars. It's a young adult uh, novel set during the original trilogy time. It follows a pair of childhood friends as they enter the Imperial Academy and in, in, sort of get their first assignments. And um, they're like best friends from childhood. They both come from the same planet um, and they end up following different paths. Um, And so this is a spoiler-free episode as we try to keep, you know, whenever we talk about books or things like that, we try to keep discussions spoiler-free. So don't worry about that. But if you haven't read Lost Stars, we highly recommend it. It is uh, just a phenomenal book. Um, it's been getting rave reviews left and right, and it's fantastic. Um, she's also working on a second Star Wars book. It is unconnected to Lost Stars, but it's going to be. It's called Bloodline. It comes out next spring. It uh, takes place before The Force Awakens, um, and really, we at this point um, we don't really know much more than that. You know, I shall say in the interview. You know, perhaps after the movie comes out, you know, she can open up a little bit more about what the book is about but at this point all we know is the title and then it takes place six years before the force awakens and they also recently it was recently announced um that she will be writing a brand new um young adult sci-fi series uh the first book is called defy the stars um and uh like justin yeah as you said we we sort of go into that quite a bit too so um if you if you're a fan of claudia gray if you're a fan of star wars if you're a fan of science fiction if you're a fan of young adult um (laughs) you're going to want to stay tuned. 
And something that I always uh, enjoy talking to authors is just hearing how they go about creating their story and their writing process. And if you are interested in writing at all, or maybe you want to be an author, um, she, you know, just really just listen to what she has to say. And not that she gives a bunch of tips or anything, but it's it's helpful advice though, is what she says. yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, you kind of you just get an idea of how an author's mind, someone that's been doing this professionally for years, yeah. um, goes about doing what they do. It's really cool. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of the things that I that young writers or people who are struggling to just sort of get their ideas onto paper, some of the things that they are struggling with and maybe get fed up over, thinking, "I'm a hack. I'm no good. I, I I'll never make it." You know, it's sometimes it's helpful just to hear that those are things that everybody goes through. Every writer has to pass through those phases, you know, and, you know, mimicry, everybody has to do it. You know, you, the fact, writer's block, everybody goes through it. So, um, yeah, it's not necessarily tips that she doles out, but it's a lot of just really helpful advice. Perfect. So we're going to play this one for you. Here you go. Claudia, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, really excited to talk. Thank you for having um, me. We've got a whole bunch of questions, so hopefully we won't go too Sorry, long. Sorry, hit me. <laughs> um, let's just start with Star Wars because I know you've been doing a lot of press for that, and then we'll move on mm-hmm. to some more of the the, the recent news. Um, but you are one of the few authors um, who are sort of on the ground floor of a new Star Wars expanded universe. Um, Mm -hmm. So as you were writing Lost Stars and developing the story, did you feel any pressure or responsibility about that? Or did you just kind of feel like a sense of freedom that you weren't tied down by all this this history of all this other expanded universe that used to exist? I would love to tell you that I approached it analytically enough to have either of those reactions. But the way I have described it was more like, you remember that scene in Ferris Bueller's Day Off when the parking garage guys take Cameron's yeah. dad's car out? And there's just that moment where you hear the Star Wars theme and they're in the air and they're like, Wah! Just you know, a look of joy me. on their face. <laughs> yeah, that was my entire emotional reaction to it. It did not even occur to me, you know, like, oh, this is going to be a big building block or like, oh, this can you know, this will have long effects, uh, with the canon, like none of that hit me so much later. Um, you know, I, fortunately, since I was mostly writing about the events of the original trilogy, I, I don't think, uh, I had to worry about that aspect as much as, you know, like Chuck Wendig or, uh, Greg Rucka or some of the others would have. Uh, no, I was just blissed out. It was that simple. Just having fun playing in the sandbox. Oh my God. Yeah. They're like, Hey, do you want to do this thing you've been doing for fun since you were seven? Except now we'll give you money. (laughs) (laughs) How can you say no to that? (laughs) Exactly. So how did Lost Stars come about? Did Disney and Lucasfilm specifically approach you for a young adult novel or was that your suggestion? No, they specifically came to me. Uh, They wanted a young adult novel and, you know, sort of the idea they gave me was Romeo and Juliet in space. Uh, I personally think we ended up more with Casablanca, but that is beside the point. Uh, And I thought when they came to me that, you know, like, okay, they're going to tell me what to write. But that was very much not the case. I had a lot of freedom. The outline had to be approved, but it was my outline. And, um, you know, they really let me let me tell the story I wanted to tell, which was wonderful. But so... They came to you with that original sort of elevator pitch, but was it your idea yes. 
to to you develop the the specifics of the story. So you know, you came up with you know, let's follow a pair of friends, or did did they say we want it set during uh, the original they, trilogy? Uh, yeah, they that those are the two things. One that it would be this sort of star-crossed romance, and they did want the people to have been friends in childhood. Okay. Um, and they very much wanted it to hit many events in the original trilogy. The idea, you know. A lot of people have said Forrest Gump, but you know, I'm mean, I'm nerd enough to go. I thought of it as Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of <laughs> yeah. Star Wars. You know, that's you know, honestly, who, when I was reading the book, that's exactly what I thought of too. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the people who had to be doing these things or having these reactions in order for the main drama to be taking place, and uh, you know, a lot of people have responded very positively to exactly that aspect. Like, here's what it was like to be there. If you weren't anywhere near the people who were making the biggest decisions uh, or who sort of single-handedly were able to turn the tide, what if you were just a person caught up in this? What would your experience be? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was really just that. And uh, But, you know, I developed the characters and the world that I came from and sort of specifically what the issues would be between them, where they'd end up, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, because it's set during the events of the original trilogy and then a little bit after, but I mean, it's remarkable, I think, that even though we know what those major events are and like we know there's there's this sense of inevitability sort of hanging over everything, it, the story still feels very fresh and vibrant. And I think that's, sort of testament to the characters that you created but i'm wondering how thank much thank you um, i actually I, knew that oh, i'm sorry no. um i knew one thing was going really well when right after the book came out i started getting a bunch of tweets and people were going like how could you do this in chapter eight how could you do it and i was like what in chapter eight is when the death star blows up alderan and i was yeah. like guys i didn't do that at <laughs> <laughs> me you know, but just the fact that people were reacting that way i was like oh good they're getting into it yeah but no, i you know i understand that that reaction because I, I i kind of had the same reaction like you knew it was coming and that's what I'm, you know the sense of inevitability like you know, like the characters don't know what's happening they're like oh we've arrived at alderan right. and we have a friend who lives there maybe i'll finally get to see this beautiful place he's talking about and just like deep inside you're like no 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 don't do it maybe you'll change it maybe history can be changed yeah, uh, you wish for poor nash's sake it could exactly but i mean i'm wondering how much of a challenge was it to revisit the events that everybody kind of knows so well but from a different perspective you know it was so much fun honestly um i am somebody who has written a lot of fan fiction i still write when i have the time which is not often unfortunately but uh so I'm very used to that. That's what kind of fan I am. You know, I think most thick writers are, you know, you look at that and then you go, well, what would it be like over here? You know, what would it be like if you looked at it this way? What would the perspective be on it this way? So that, that felt very natural. Um, the stuff that was tougher to revisit were sort of points of detail. I'd never had any reason to examine before. Um, you know, even very minor things like, the shape of the windows inside a super star destroyer. Right. I, you know, I just, that hadn't. Why would you have thought about that before? Yeah. Right. You know, but then all of a sudden you, you're writing somebody in a scene there and you actually need to paint it. And you're like, Oh, you know, this is not the color I expected. This isn't the way that I thought this went exactly. You know, I had to pay attention to different things uh, again, because you want your attention is usually drawn for the very, very main uh, part of the story. And so it was like, 
you know, looking more into the fringe of it. Say it was more sort of that kind of detail thing right. than just sort of the overall perspective. That was more challenging. Right. Uh, one of the things about Luke, and I know Luke isn't, you know, in the book, but one of the things that about Luke that makes him such a great character, at least in the first movie, was that he was just a kid with big dreams who finally got his chance. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think when the movie came out and, you know, before, you know, it really exploded into what it is now, I think a lot of us saw ourselves in him. And we imagined, like, you know, if we were in his shoes, if we were just that kid thrust into that galaxy, we'd kind of be able to do the same things mm-hmm. or we would hope, hope that we would. And I think that the same thing can be said about Cyan and Thane. Um I- from my, perspective, <laughs> from my perspective, I mean, they act like many of us would, hopefully, that if we lived in the Star Wars universe, so, you know, they, they get excited about the things that we would get excited about. You know, they they want to do and try the things that we would want to do and try if we live there. And they're relatable. Um, yeah. And it's it was fun to do that, like to really sort of be able to put yourself in. And I think you're right that sort of really since Luke in the beginning, we haven't. Yeah. had that because even in the uh the prequels you know all those pre people are pretty used to that universe except anakin but he's so little exactly when he leaves it that you kind of don't even you're like will he even remember what happened before this i don't know yeah. um so yeah i think it was fun to have two sort of entry-level characters like what would you do if you get to run out into the galaxy at large do you put yourself in there and choose like when you were writing were you thinking like okay no i'm i'm cyana what would i do Hoping to, yeah. But of course, then you're trying to sort of figure out who they are individually. Obviously, yeah. uh, she and they make different choices about the way they're going to go. Uh, but you know, it was important that even if it wasn't exactly what I would do, that I would understand why somebody would do that, like what your mindset would be uh, and how some things that would look you know, either horrifying or at least really scary – from our perspective, might be the natural choices those people would make in that situation. So the book briefly wades into the events of Follow Return of the Jedi. It includes a few hints and glimpses ahead to The Force Awakens. Um, were the plot points... Just a little. <laughs> <laughs> were they mandated by Lucasfilm, or did you have a hand in creating the content for that? Uh, neither, actually. What happened was... With the final scene, which I know, like the final sort of bit, I know that's what you're referring to here, mm-hmm. the post-Return of the Jedi uh, content. Essentially, I, on my own, came up with an ending that was not exactly like that, but was very, very, very similar. And they, you know, bounced this over to Lucasfilm, and they came back, and they were sort of like, guess what? Because it was already <laughs> so close that they were like, you know, we should make this the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it shifted a little bit and then all of a sudden, you know, I met Jakku, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't either thing. I just sort of Mm -hmm. accidentally invented something (laughs) so similar that it fit, which um, was very gratifying on Spanish level. (laughs) That's really cool. (laughs) You're going to get a job on the story group now. (laughs) She's figured out our secret formula. So they've already announced Bloodline, um, which Mm -hmm. is it's another Star Wars book that's going to come out in March, I believe, and is set six years before The Force Awakens. 
Mm-hmm. But that's pretty much all we know, I think, unless I missed something. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else that you can all, share? I, no, I think that's really all I can tell you at this point. Hopefully we're going to be able to share a little bit more fairly soon. Um, you know, I think we may be able to a little freer to talk after the movie comes yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, I will say that I made it clear from the outset. I made it clear with Lost Stars as well, but it wasn't as pertinent. But I asked to note as little about The Force Awakens as I could possibly know mm-hmm. and write the book. And while I had to learn a few things, they really are pretty minor. I'm I'm going to be walking in there, you know, almost as unspoiled as you can be. Mm-hmm. The average person who keeps up with the spoilers on the internet is way, 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 way ahead of speed. Okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so there's not much there, but I'm, we're just not allowed to talk about it sure. yet. But like I said, I'm feeling that after the movie and it has come out into the world that we are able to share more. It was, it was really fun to write. I can say it's not a sequel to Lost Stars. Uh, it is its own thing. It is dealing with the different characters and it is intended for adult readers. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, something that I thought was is is a little bit funny is a lot of these new Star Wars books have such incredibly long titles, it, like officially, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. they love the colon for some reason. Yeah. Um, and I think it's funny when you put those new titles next to your past books, which have very short titles, if not single yeah. words, you know? So, I mean, Lost Stars is what people call it, but it's actually Star Wars colon, Journey to the Force Awakens colon, Lost Stars. And the same thing with Bloodline. I think it has two colons in there. So, yeah, is that, was that hard for you to accept as somebody who obviously likes shorter titles? <laughs> what, uh, it's not so much like preference for shorter titles, although I did title all my old books, but for a long time in YA, you kind of had a one-word title or go home. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's got a little ridiculous. I was always joking, like, we're going to have these books called Unicycle. Yeah. <laughs> now, like, we're going to run out of the words. Um, yeah, it was the only thing that made me sort of sad about the the um, the Lost Stars title was that because it was titled that way, it was counted as a series book. And so I didn't hit the New York Times list under my own name, which I would have uh, if it had just been Star Wars Lost Stars. Oh so I was like, <laughs> you know, it's it's not, you know, as they say in Poland, you know, not my circus, not my monkeys. Yeah. Uh, you so, still got to play, but, you know, play in the sandbox, though. Yeah. And I got to play and I got to title the the unique part of the book, which I was surprised at. Lost Stars was my uh, invention. In fact, Bloodline will be the very first book I've written, and I think that's like my 16th. I've lost count. That I didn't pick the title for. Oh wow! So most authors do not get that batting average. So I'm yeah. sorry to to lose my perfect record, but well, congratulations on the really high average, though. <laughs> <laughs> so so let's talk about Defy the Stars, which was just announced. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. Nope. And this is set in an original universe? Yes. Okay, and what can you tell us about the story? Uh, the elevator pitch uh, that we had, even though I didn't see one of these movies until after I'd come out with the story, was basically Interstellar meets Blade Runner. And it is maybe 300 years after the sort of thing you saw in Interstellar where Earth is sort of falling apart and humanity is looking for another home. Uh, in the stars. Well, now it's a few centuries into that process, and Earth has 
several colony worlds. The majority of them, it's very, very difficult for people to live there. Uh, the, you know, the climate is not super friendly. The resources are sort of scarce. And you can eke out an existence, but it's not really a place where a huge population of people can be. And then you have this one world, Genesis, that is perfect, just very, very, uh, you know, fertile ground, abundant life, uh, good climate, good gravity, everything. And people have been there for a couple hundred years, settling it and building it up. But then you start at the moment where these people go, wait a minute, you're going to come here in mass and ruin this world the exact same way you ruined Earth. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're going to let you do that. And, you know, the people of Genesis see themselves as protecting this world and keeping it from, you know, being just the next thing that gets destroyed, whereas people from Earth are very angry because where are they supposed to go? This is a very dangerous situation. And do you have this loop? of worlds, colony worlds and earth that are connected by, uh, by wormholes. And they all have sort of developed their own cultures to a certain degree. And this one soldier from Genesis ends up sort of stranded in space and comes across one of earths. They have, uh, what are called mech, but sort of robotic warriors or they, they do other things as well but she finds basically an experimental prototype and he's been stranded out there for a while and she's trying to sort of use him for her plan but sort of gets to the point where you know is this a person or not a person is this somebody she sort of has the right to destroy i guess and it was also very interesting writing from his point of view as well you know not quite human not quite machine that's I'm fascinated. Right? I mean, I, I don't want to even interrupt you. Like, I just want you to keep talking. I want you to just tell me the story right now. <laughs> just read us the story. <laughs> it's, but it's really fun coming up with the different worlds and how different, you know, how the climate or the um, the main industry there would end up shaping uh, a society that, you know, all of these worlds at this point, most of the people who live there have been away from Earth for a long time. And you also have vagabonds who basically are leading, you know, spaceship lives. Uh, and they aren't connected to any one planet permanently. They sort of stop in and get resources and do work and things like this, but, you know, they've just taken to the sky forever. And, um, yeah, it's been so much fun to write. I can't even tell you. Is it a relief in a way to sort of return to a story that's 100% your own creation and you don't have this massive amount of oversight like you would with Star Wars? I wouldn't necessarily say a relief because you do have the oversight with Star Wars, but you also have the incredible luxury of not having to do a whole lot of world building. It's there, yeah. you know, with, um, with Defy the Stars, you know, I've had to figure out how the wormhole would work roughly, you know, obviously I don't have actual specs on that, but, um, you know, what, what the ships would look like, how this would do, you know, with Star Wars, I can send an email, what kind of ship would do this? And mm. two days later, somebody's like, it's that kind of ship. Thank you. <laughs> you know, uh, there are pictures of it online. You can probably yeah. get the blueprints if you want them. Uh, so, you know, they, it's, it's more freedom, but there's also a whole lot more heavy lifting. Yeah. So they've already announced, um, Little Brown, the publisher has already announced that this was a deal for this book and a sequel, correct? Yes. So yes. uh, 
I would imagine that that settles some nerves on your end, but does it also sort of heighten the pressure, heighten the expectations? Uh, young adult books, I've been writing series pretty much my whole young adult career. I've written one standalone novel before mm, Lost right. Stars, if you even count that as fully standalone, I guess. But um, so, no, like it's going to be fun to delve back into that. And I actually think there may be room to tell other stories you know, if people respond very well to this given the number of different worlds and the different conflicts that are going on, there are many other stories I think you could tell in this universe about other characters who would be in other situations. So, you know, I hope people love this series because I would love to explore that yeah. as also. So you're leaving the door open. Hopefully there'll be more. Yes. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> um, I mean, you mentioned that most of the books that you have done have been YA and that they've all been, you know, more or less part of a series. And I know that in the YA genre, that's sort of par for the course. You know, the publishers, for whatever reason, actually, we know the reason, but they don't want to just have one standalone book. They like to have a series, whether it's a trilogy yeah, or... It's, it's, that's changing some now. You're seeing uh, a little more balance between um, standalones and series books in YA. I think that's sort of um, correcting itself. But I do think there is, uh, you know, you're still going to see more series in that genre than you do with most adult books. Yeah. Do you prefer to work fun, that way? Really. Do you prefer to work that way? I like it. I mean, if you really have a universe you like a lot and you really have characters you care about a great deal, you know, you love being able to go back to them and spend more time with them. Uh, you know, the big danger is, you know, do you have enough plot? Do you have enough uh, in that universe to support that longest story? And, you know, it's very possible to get in and discover that you don't. But, uh, for instance, I just finished writing the last book in my Firebird trilogy, which is a Parallel Dimensions uh, young adult series. You know, that was three books. I hadn't even come close to running out of ideas yeah. with that. There were so many different directions to go in. There were so many different possibilities. So it's really fun to be able to explore that in greater depth. And I do kind of like that about the, you know, young adult readers are very interested in, you know, they want to learn more about the side characters. They want to dig into this and that. Uh, so that part is very enjoyable. So for you personally, what is it about science fiction that you like? Why write science fiction? I have been such a fangirl geek my whole life that that is a very difficult question for me to answer, <laughs> really. You know, like Star Wars came out when I was seven, um, warping me permanently in a good way. Um <laughs> You know, my grandparents always talk about this. They had those books. I bet your grandparents had these books, too. Reader's Digest, Strange oh, yeah. Stories, Amazing Facts, yeah. you know, or Mysteries of the Unexplained. You know, and it was everything in there. It was like, you know, everything from the Jersey Devil to cryogenics. You know, was it weird? <laughs> it was in there, you know, with just no no responsibility to stick to facts whatsoever. <laughs> and essentially my whole life, it's, if it was the sort of thing that could be in that book, I'm interested in it. You know, does that mean paranormal? Yes. Does that mean science fiction? Yes. Does that mean, you know, kind of like folklore or, you know, you know, if it's a little bit weird, I think there's just something in every Spanish personality that understands reality just needs to be a little bit more interesting. Uh, you know, you love these more uh, extreme situations and the way you're able to tackle problems in those kinds of stories. 
And so I've just always, always been drawn to that. Do you think that the sci-fi YA market is in a good place right now? Yeah, it's picking up a lot. You know, mine is one of several science fiction books that have been sold and we'll sort of see what happens. But I kind of feel like we're, we're going to sort of see maybe, maybe not quite as sharply, but I think we're going to see a bit of a mirror effect of what we saw in the late seventies when Star Wars came along. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how old either of you are probably horrify me if you told me, (laughs) but, um, you know, all of a sudden, if even as a kid, then I knew it was like, nobody was talking about space. Everything was about space for the next (laughs) 10 years, you know, everything, everything. And I think, we're going to be seeing a larger cultural shift. And in some ways, I think you already see it with stuff like, you know, gravity and the Martian and things like this that have been, um, that have really sort of helped create more mainstream acceptance of this sort of science fiction adventure again. So uh, I think, I think mine is the, I think the YA sci-fi Tide is just one of the many sort of waves of that that's sort of coming up. I think we're going to see it in a lot of markets in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think one of the cool things about that, though, is that the, the you know, the, at least the current rage for, for space and, and science fiction movies and things like, you know, the ones that you just mentioned is that we're finally kind of catching up to what used to be science fiction, you know, back when mm-hmm. Star Wars first came out. You know, now we're actually literally talking about a manned mission to Mars. You know, we're we're talking about things that when in the seven in 77 when Star Wars came out were unthinkable to to, to mm-hmm. truly be reality. And I think so, you know, the 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 fascination and the interest in things like gravity and interstellar and the Martian and, and you know, all the the great books that are out there is because it's not necessarily seen as fantasy anymore. It's not, this is not something that could never be true. This is something that we might be able to see in our lifetimes. Yeah, I totally agree. And in fact, I think one of the reasons we sort of saw a lot less of harder sci-fi for a while is that technology was outpacing us so fast for a while, but you couldn't keep up. By the time you were able to think of something, somebody had a patent on it, you know? Um, And it, really been that way, I think, sort of since about the mid-90s, where um, from sort of the advent of the mass use of the internet on, I think, basically, I think you saw a lot more trending sort of toward fantasy and paranormal elements, because everybody just sort of had to step back and sort of see what this wave of innovation was going to bring, and now this seems much more plausible and maybe we're sort of able to, you know, with Star Wars sort of like look much further ahead again now that yeah. we finally reached the place where we can do that. It's an exciting time. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the most common questions I'm sure you get, you know, m- most authors get is, you know, what advice do you have for a young writer? And I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but for the most part, the advice that I usually hear is pretty much similar. It's read a lot, write a lot. Um, yeah, those those are really the only things there are. There really isn't anything else. Yeah. Um, you know, I always do tell people, like, read the stuff that you want to write, but also just read very widely. You don't know where ideas are going to come from. Uh, you don't know what's going to spark your interest. Um, I've what? gotten really great ideas that I've incorporated into books from some of the least likely material. And with writing, I think it's very important 
I'm not going to say write every day because I don't do that necessarily. I have been lately because of deadlines, but um, <laughs> I'm not somebody who has to do that. Some people do, but I do think you have to write so regularly that you are making continual progress mm-hmm. on what you're working on and that you are no longer asking yourself where to find the time. Like yeah. you have the time. If you're not doing something else, that's what you're doing. I think that's what you have to create in yourself. So in talking to a lot of people, you know, who are, you know, struggling to write their first book or, you know, just sort of at the beginning of their career, you know, and they, and they get that, that advice, read widely, write as much as you can. I think it's interesting that maybe this is just through lack of experience, but the, a lot of pe- young writers and maybe even, you know, more experienced writers, they tend to mimic what they read, either, you know, within mm-hmm. themes or styles or structure. And, you know, what they end up with isn't something that's really entirely original. I'm wondering how you can avoid that. You know, in all honesty, I think that's where everybody starts, mm-hmm. unless you're some sort of massive genius, you know, in which case you don't need advice from me. But um, I, I don't think you should avoid that. I think, you know, do that and move on. I think, um, you know, I mentioned before that I wrote fan fiction, which is specifically derivative. It's supposed to be derivative. It's mm-hmm. supposed to be part of the thing. Uh, you know, I learned a lot that way. And I think I, you know, sort of learned how to build off my own thing eventually after doing that. But it's, you know, it's a very natural stage. Uh, you know, maybe just don't assume, you know, the first book is going to be the one, you know, uh, which is another reason, like I tell people sometimes people are like, oh, I've been working on this book for 10 years. Like, no, 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 finish that book. Mm-hmm. You're done with that book. Now write the next one because you're going to have such better ideas now, yeah, you know, because after you kind of get that out of your system, then you move on, um, or to go in a completely unexpected director, uh, direction with this, you know, you had Lin-Manuel Miranda, he worked for years and years and years on In the Heights, which is a very good show, you know, but is very, the plot line is very like a whole bunch of musicals you've seen. Right. As soon as he's done with In the Heights, he does Hamilton, which is like this huge breakthrough work of incredible originality, mm-hmm. but he wouldn't have been able to write Hamilton if he hadn't written sure. in the Heights, you know, and maybe your first book will be really derivative, you know, possibly publishable derivative or derivative, but you, you may just need to do that. Like, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's okay, uh, to, to have that kind of inspiration, kind of work it out because I think only by writing your way through the thing that you love, do you begin to understand what elements of it really speak to you and mm-hmm. how you build on that and what elements of it, you know, maybe aren't as persuasive or as fun for you? I think I think that's just how you get there. That That's good advice. And I think it probably would soothe a lot of nerves for, you know, somebody who's writing and thinking like, I, I, I'm just running in circles because this is so derivative and it's not original and I have nothing to say. Mm-hmm. But it's it's helpful, I think, to hear that, you know, everybody has to move through that phase. Yeah, I think I think that's like I said, true for all but the uppermost sliver of yeah. geniuses who do not require advice. You know, yeah. it's it's a very it's a very natural stage, kinda like the Mary Sue in fanfic, you know, by God, if you're a thirteen year old girl, write that story about yeah. her with the violet eyes and the magic powers. You do that. Like mm-hmm. that is that's you do that and then you sort of build on to the next kind of character and you grow up from there. It's just that's where you begin. 
You you mentioned uh, that you don't write every day. Um, you know, you have been recently, but it's, it's not yeah. sort of a pattern that you keep to. Um, do you have a routine? I mean, do you sit down and write even when you think you have nothing to say? Um, not having anything to say has not been so much of an issue. Maybe I am that loud now, but I don't know. <laughs> but, um, uh, I mean, I make myself work. I make myself move forward with things. Uh, and, you know, and sometimes it will be many, many days in a row, really long days. But I'm a big believer in the concept of filling the well mm-hmm. that you've heard of. Um, basically, I feel like you need to have some time where you kind of let your ideas lie fallow, you know, because you don't have one idea for a book. You have one idea and that a bad idea has to meet some other ideas that have been in your head for a while. And then this cool thing you saw and then this dream you had, you know, a whole lot of things sort of get together and actually become the idea. And, you know, you need some time just to kind of let that happen. And, you know, go see movies, go to museums, go hiking, I think if you're having some novel and um, interesting, unique um, experiences, that that kind of novelty stimulates your imagination, not even in a very direct way. It may not be like, oh, I saw this thing and therefore I'm inspired to write about it. It can be very um, angled or crooked, that path. But I think you need a certain amount of time and energy to step back and, and let that happen. And, uh, thanks to deadlines, I've not been able to do that. <laughs> but, um, but I will be able to very, very shortly, which is good. Uh, yeah. So for me, that's what I need. Some people need to write every day or they fall out of, out of track and they lose focus on it. You know, mm-hmm. there's no one right way. You just have to figure out what works for you. Right. Um, really quickly, um, cause I know we've, we've kept you long enough, but I have to ask, I'm, I'm fascinated by authors who choose to write under pseudonyms and which is what you do. And I'm just wondering mm-hmm. why you chose to do that when you started out. I would love to have some really in-depth answer for you, mm-hmm. but in all honesty, I thought it would be cool. Like when I was <laughs> a little kid and I found out people could write books under other names, I was like, Awesome. I will do this. You know, the chance came up, I did it. Now, that said, it's ended up being hugely useful in many ways. Um, one is just um, logistically that I have different Facebook accounts, mm-hmm. Twitter accounts. These things are neatly separate, and that's handy because, you know, on Facebook, what your readers want to see is very different than what your old college roommate wants to see. Right. You know, it's. Uh, being able to keep that stuff straight easily is nice. Uh, and as for the other side of it, I actually found it was very psychologically helpful because, you know, you have to get a thick skin as a writer because no matter what book you have written, somebody hates it, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And uh, I found it was actually very useful because I would read sort of this negativity, but it was about Claudia Gray, which is a reminder that this is about, the work, it's not about you, you know, it's not about me personally, who I am as a human being. Uh, You know, that doesn't make bad reviews fun to read, you know, nothing does that, but it does add just a little bit of a buffer that I personally find mentally very helpful for that. I don't know whether that's the experience of most writers with pseudonyms, but it has been for me. Awesome. 
Claudia, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a fascinating conversation. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You asked wonderful questions. I wish you the best, the best of luck with uh, Defy the Stars and the Bloodline. We're, we're anxiously looking forward to both. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. That's it for this week's interview with Claudia Gray. And first of all, it was a great interview. I really enjoyed it. And I always enjoy when the author, because Jamie, uh, most of you don't know this, but Jamie comes up with a lot of the questions. Because frankly, I'm too lazy. No, just <laughs> really, Jamie does. And whenever we interview somebody, we get this comment often. I don't always leave it in the editing, but they say, you know, these are great questions, you know. And I'm sh- it's one of those things where I don't think they would say that to everybody. So I'm happy. I just want to give butter Jamie up a little bit. Good job. Oh, I'm blushing. <laughs> and something also is we were talking about the pseudonym. And Jamie and I were talking before because he's, oh, I don't know if a lot of people know this or we're allowed to talk about it. So I'm going to say it anyway. He's going to be writing for Babbel.com, and which is a Disney-owned blog. And we were looking at the different the different authors, and we were like, Jamie needs a pseudonym for Babel. Yeah, there's no way that some, <laughs> some of these names are real names. Um, they're awesome. You know, I, I'm not... All you got to do is just go to the Babel contributor page, scroll through. Some of them are just normal, run-of-the-mill names. But right. some of them, there's no way that these are, like, the given names that their parents gave them. And if <laughs> if they are, man, mad props to those parents because they are just awesome names. And I feel so inadequate with my dumb name next to some of these people. Like, I, I need to have a just rock star pseudonym right and we came up with a few good ones but i want to hear what you guys think (laughs) oh no (laughs) i'm gonna put it out there what should jamie's name be and something cool about jamie too is it's really hard to find a picture of him he's just a robot that's that's kind of something where that i think is cool too so you know jamie's a robot so come up with a cool name for him i don't know what but send it in (laughs) i'm a little nervous now (laughs) all right guys thank you so much for coming by this week I am 140 Justin C on all platforms. I am the Roarbots. And in addition, the um, pot, if you want to just call us and leave us voicemails, leave us some audio that we can use on a future episode, it's 301-825-5653. And we are going to get a really cool message on there for, you know. Yeah, we've been saying that for weeks. I know. We will, though. We will. That's because we're both lazy. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Call in. Call in anyway. Maybe it'll be there. Maybe it won't. (laughs) And uh, you can find us, as always, uh, at the GBP podcast on Facebook and Twitter. And someday we'll have Instagram and maybe the the new kids using Snapchat. If we ever get big enough, I don't know. <laughs> Again, we're just too lazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have normal job. Well, yeah. You know, anyways, thanks guys. Have a great week. See ya. <laughs>